Welcome to Managing Marketing and today I'm sitting down having a chat with Matt Robinson who's Managing Director of Analog Folk, uh, probably one of the modern uh, creative agencies or agencies in, uh, in Australia. Welcome Matt. Thank you Darren. Yeah. I say modern because that's what it says on your website. <laughs> <laughs> well that's good, thank you, I appreciate you saying that. Um, yeah, no, good, good to be here, um, modern for us. Uh, there's a there's a quote that our CEO um, Bill always kind of brings out, uh, and it's it's a hockey quote. It's a nice hockey quote. He's Canadian, but um, so you know maybe the maple uh, leaf. maybe it shouldn't it shouldn't be lost here. But um, his view is you you always need to skate to where the hockey park is going to be, because if you skate to where the hockey park is at the moment, um, it'll be gone by the time, by the time you're there. You get there. It, it's yeah. kind of gone, and I think for us that's what uh, that's what modern is about. It's about looking forward. Um, it's about you know, I think holding on to some of the great things that, that, that you know, the advertising has been and the, the, the industry has built and the amazing research around brand building and, and all the rest of it. Um, but at the same time, really embracing um, the opportunities within digital. Uh, and and that, that for us in, and that kind of mix of, of perspectives, um, I think uh, is, is incredibly important to us. Uh, and that's, that's kind of why we talk about ourselves as being a, a more modern take and, you know, being able to leave some of those legacy models behind um, is, kind of, is kind of our focus. So I want to pick up on that, Matt, because yeah. you do have, you, you've got an impressive career in working in some really well-established agency brand names, yeah. okay? Yeah. And all of them today are talking about the way they need to transform and evolve and all of that. Yeah. But you've already made that decision. You made that decision when you became an analog folk. Yeah, yeah. You know, can can it be a, a pronoun? I guess. Well, yeah. we, we call ourselves folk. Yeah. Um, we don't necessarily call ourselves analog folk individually, but, right. uh, but yeah, yeah, it can be. Okay, so so how do you? What were the changes you saw in the industry that made this the right decision for you? Um, yeah, that's a good. It's a good question. Look, I think um, for me. You know, my career um, sort of spans, you know, media, um, creative, uh, as well as digital agencies. And um, I was very lucky to, to jump on one of the first digital agencies in Australia, which was called NetEx, um, which was later acquired by, by Clems and probably one of the more successful digital agencies in Australia. Um, at the time, you know, digital was so new and, uh, and it kind of introduced an inc incredibly new way of thinking. And that was being able to measure um, literally everything. So, you know, creativity had this new kind of platform where um, you know, we could be personalised, we could be individual, um, we could speak to people kind of one-to-one -one, and it kind of merged the best of direct marketing with, with I suppose, what, what brands could build or what brands could do. Um, so, so what was it, having worked in a lot of, you know, very well-known agency brands yeah. that made you realise that, you know, analogue folk and, oh. and that sort of offering was the right decision at the right time for you um yeah look for me um when i when i ended up moving to some of the, the these other well-known agency brands that you mentioned um often my role uh, i was a strategist at the time uh, and my role was was always kind of put in there as, a, as an instigator and it was to be the kind of the person who came in and agitated the, the agency and um and helped to um, infuse digital thinking throughout um, mm. now if you know anything about 
the way that sort of digital thinking or digital transformation works, um, it's not a kind of uh, silver bullet solution. It, it, it's it's a sum of many many parts. Um, it's operational, you know. It's yeah. it's cultural. Um, there are so many kind of aspects to uh, delivering great digital work or or infusing digital thinking into what you do. Um, and you know, a lot of those agencies made some really good progress, and they're and they're still fantastic agencies doing great work. Um, but what I kind of saw as the opportunity and, and uh, uh, to launch the Sydney office of Avalon folk was um, really to kind of do it properly, you know, yeah. and, and, do, and, and do it without any of those legacy sort of systems hanging around, um, any kind of, um, you know, yeah, global governance. Even, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't even say they're legacy systems. I think yeah. it's a legacy culture, yeah. you know, yeah. which makes it even more difficult. You know, how many yeah. times did we see, you know, traditional agencies go through this thing of, oh, well, we'll just go and out and acquire some sort of digital resources and stick them in the agency and somehow that'll, through osmosis, Mm. that will transform our business. Mm. Um, Then others would recruit people and stick them into, you know, and then we had uh, creative teams went from writer an art director to write an art director and technologist and somehow that was going to be the magic bullet. I think all of them missed the point, which was, as you said, it's more than just a transformation. It's actually building it from the ground up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think um, uh, in a lot of agencies, you know, there still remains this kind of handoff process of, of you know, departments handing to departments. Um and whilst there, you know that that can be a valid way of getting to great work, and you know, and it still it still can be. Um, at the moment, uh, you know, there there are so many other ways of getting to good thinking, um, and that's by bringing um, bringing other perspectives in. And, and like you say, it's not a matter of just attaching a creative technologist to a creative team. Um, it's actually making sure that that creative technologist has as much of a role in you know, driving the strategy or inputting into the strategy as anyone else. And um, that's that's really hard in traditional agencies. Uh, it, it uh, uh, you know, the 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 billing model, um, you know, kind of dictates um, yeah. allocations of, of percentages of people and kind of all of the rest of it. And, um, you know, again, not to, not to say it's not workable, um, but I kind of saw the opportunity at a lot of folk um, to join a company where, you know, we could we could kind of form make make the agency that we wanted to make. So, so start yeah. from a greenfield yeah. and build it from the ground up. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if you have seen on the client side the same sort of struggle that they've had because mm-hmm. you know when you are working with a client that has a digital department or a digital silo, yeah. does that make you worry that uh, perhaps they haven't got? <sighs> the thinking together? Yeah, look, I think um, in certain uh, certain organisations and certain examples, it, it still makes sense, you know. Um, I think more and more uh, clients are building digital capability uh, around development or around, you know, content, um, in some cases UX and experience design. Um, and again, you know, social media obviously is another big one where clients are kind of building digital capability. Um, and that can make a lot of sense because, you know, being closer to the coalface, closer to the customer, um, you know, sometimes that, that can work really well. Uh, I think when it gets really dangerous and, and, a, and a, th- a big thing that I'm seeing um, is, you know, you almost end up with two kind of religions competing um, within an organisation. And I think there's kind of two religions competing in the marketing world at the moment where um, you've got this kind of, you know, um, instant results, short-term 
um, measure everything, personalize everything, you know, use which data. Which is very digital. Which is, which is you know, I, I think, which is, I, I think, funnily become a traditional view of what digital is and digital marketing is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got the world of brand building. And again, all the, all the great things that we've learned from um, case studies and, and kind of the long and the short of it and all of these amazing, um, uh, you know, um, research, all this amazing research where, uh, you know, we understand that brands are built over the long term and the, the power of emotional connection and a lot of that that cannot be measured. Um, and you've got this kind of, you know, these competing forces at play. And um, I think, again, you know, coming from sort of both of those worlds um, and, you know, we're lucky in that a lot of our team um, has had experience in both of those worlds and understands the kind of interrelationship between them. Um, I think it's it's never it can never be a case of kind of one or the other. Um, it has it to be would. it has to be how they work together. I mean, we we often uh, have the conversation with marketers around the idea of having a brand team and what that actually means. <laughs> because in a way, in the world we live in, whether it's analog or digital, mm. every customer interaction, even a non-transactional one, is a brand experience. Yeah. You know, the, the idea of doing the big brand TV ad that you'll launch on a Sunday night with a roadblock media yeah. and then sort of have a trickle-down effect into everything else yeah. is yeah. actually not the way you build brand yeah. because it's actually a long-term, always-on mm-hmm. brand-building exercise. Yeah. But likewise, just looking at making it all transactional you know, all get going for the short-term sales, you need to be considering that that is part of your brand building exercise. Yeah, no, without a doubt. And, uh, you know, and I think for the most part, again, not, not all the time, but for the most part, over on the transactional side and this kind of, you know, deep digital data-driven side, um, for the most part, the actual brand experience and the principles of brand building aren't very well considered in that world. You know, it's all about... Um, optimizing, optimizing, optimizing data, and, and you know, I had a, I had a, an experience last week, which was around. I had um, I had four different companies contact me saying, "Can you give us your feedback about your experience with our brand?" And I, and I think this is a very digital kind of mentality, and uh, you know, one of them was a toll tunnel. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them was after buying a pair of shoes for one of my kids, um, and the other one was a was in a in a camping store. So I'm yet to go camping. Um, the toll was horrible. Um, and the shoes, you know, who knows yet? And it's kind of like there's this, there's this feeling that we, just because we can get data, that we should. Uh, and that's not necessarily true. And, and I don't think a lot of these companies are thinking about the, um, the, the actual customer experience and what that, what that experience is doing for their brand. Mm. Um, because as you say, those micro interactions are as much about brand building as anything else. And you know, the lasting taste, I suppose, of of uh, of you know sourness that I have from these these people intruding on my time, um, you know, that really needs to be considered in a lot more detail. Um, I think NPS has a lot to yeah. answer for because you know the simplicity of saying how how likely are you to recommend us to yeah. someone else? Yeah. Score us from zero to ten or one to ten. Um, the simplicity of that, um, oh, well, we're not intruding in on the customer because it's just one question, except you're right. You know, you haven't actually experienced anything other than a transaction. Exactly. And, and, you know, and that transaction, you know, is only a tiny, tiny fraction of my experience with that brand. So it's kind of, um, yeah, completely agree. I think uh, I feel like that uh, 
people, consumers are, are going to get a little bit of NPS uh, wear out at some point soon, and and that uh, you know companies are going to be receiving ones and twos, and and, and they're not going to be too happy about it. Well, I think uh, that's actually valuable for them though. Mm. That if they start receiving, you know, if people stop being polite and giving them a five, six, or seven, which yeah. is a neutral score, yeah. and do give them the one or two, mm. then suddenly, because um, they're going to have to take notice. Because one of the powers of uh, NPS is the fact that um, it starts all the way from board level down to um, you know to the grassroots, because the boards love an NPS score. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And yeah. especially if even if you go from minus 45 to minus 42, that's seen as a big improvement. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. And I think, you know, measurement is probably, um, you know, another key key area that, you know, that's that's um, important that um, maybe has been forgotten or maybe has been left behind and um, measuring what matters, importantly. Um, so, you know, we, we went through this period of social media and engagement metrics and all these kind of vanity vanity metrics and um you know what does it actually do Mm. um what does it actually do whereas i think um what what sort of we need to focus on as an industry um is really ensuring that the value that we're creating is actually being being recognized properly um uh and that's that's a hard discussion as well sometimes because uh it's not always easy to get to the bottom of of what kind of impact we're making um from from an agency point of view so i get from what you're saying is you're not saying don't measure things but make sure that you're measuring the right things in the right circumstances so yeah. that you actually get an insight because you know being a strategist you'd mm. be driven by insight rather than data wouldn't you yeah well look as an md now i'm probably more driven by spreadsheets than anything but uh <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but yeah no look uh, um, yeah absolutely i think you know as you say measure what matters um you know and and try and understand the actual motivations behind the, the customer um, that's that's critical um, and really, that's what analog folk is all about. Um, not to bring it back to us necessarily, but you know, being being human, you know, and understanding human motivations. Um, I think my 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 sort of best um, description of the difference of, of um, analog and digital is that you know, analog is infinite. You know, we have infinite smells and colours and um, tastes and all the rest of it. Whereas digital is kind of pre pre programmed and. Um, it, we need to choose from options. So, uh, you know, the the um, I, I guess understanding that that human being and what actually motivates them is really the most important thing. And and research should, should sort of serve that. Um, it shouldn't just be there to serve um, ticking a box and kind of you know, answering a KPI. So, on the basis that we're human, let's come right back to <laughs> yeah. business. I mean, it must be incredibly difficult to communicate analog folk in a world where there are so many other agencies out there all saying similar and different things. I mean, what is it that, you know, how do you cut through that um, as far as building a business or building your own brand? Yeah, look, um, I, I think um, I completely agree and I think it's not just about analogue folk. It's, you know, there's a, there was someone a couple of weeks ago uh, pulled from... A whole bunch of different agencies, the About Us page, mm. and kind of merged into a word cloud. And it was essentially just a whole bunch of gibberish and, and buzzwords and, and all the rest of it. And so I completely agree. You're right that 
uh, it is a, agencies struggle to kind of differentiate and, and you know position themselves, which is a you know, which is interesting given given the business we're in, obviously. But well, um, that's right. I mean, I'm, when mm, I raise this, a mm. lot of agencies say to me, "Oh, it's a bit like the you know the cobbler's shoes or the uh, the builder's renovation," and and you know we're too busy doing it for our clients to do it for ourselves. Yeah. But you'd have to say if you don't do it for yourself, why would any client think you could do it for them? Oh, look, completely. And I think, you know, as a as an independent business, um, you know, no one's no one's handing us um, handing us opportunities. You know, it's kind of you've got to you've got to find them, uh, and so positioning is critical, and and making sure that we're clear on what it is that we stand for, um, and can communicate that, as you say, is really important. Um, so for me, that that for us anyway starts on the inside, um, and I think you know it's interesting where. Analog Folk's a ten-year-old business now, so we're seven years in Australia, but but launched in London ten years ago. Um, and we've had an enduring kind of mission um, since day one, which is that we use digital to make the analog world better. Um, okay, and that's a that's a nice idea. You know, it's almost like a purpose. It know? is. It is. Yeah. No, it is. It is our purpose. And um, you know, I think if you look around uh, at the world today, and you look at what what's happening in digital. Um, there are plenty of examples of it not making the world better, um, and there's this kind of disconnect between that. You know, we can we can binge on on Netflix. Um, you know, that the algorithm serves us up and gives us the perfect serve. Um, but at the same time, what are we missing out on? You know, mm-hmm. the, the idea of the filter bubble and and you know um, that that some machine is kind of deciding what kind of news I consume and what kind of what I see in my Facebook feed. Um, so there's this kind of, you know, clash of the clash of the the, the two sides there. Um, you know, we can be connected constantly across every single messenger bot um, or, you know, through WhatsApp and kind of whatever. And that's digital has enabled that. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's this overwhelming feeling of of loneliness and there's there's issues out there around kind of um, people perhaps being too connected and, and bullying in schools and kind of all that sort mm. of thing. So, you know, I think I think for us, you know, the 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 as I said, it comes from the inside, and, and our point of view is that really um, technology and digital is neither good or bad. It's what you do with it that counts, and that's that's kind of the most important thing. And so that's why we choose. Um, we're kind of on the front foot in terms of uh, working with clients, in terms of how we hire our people, in terms of the kind of um, kind of you know skills and and, and probably more so um, you know attitudes that we look for within our business. Um, it, it has to be kind of optimistic and looking forward and actually, um, you know, wanting to make the world a better place. And I'm not saying that we've necessarily solved um, all of the world's problems yet. But, but you <laughs> well, know, but but you've only been going 10 years. That, exactly, yeah. exactly right. <laughs> There's exactly still time. Right. There is still time. There is still time. Um, but it's the intent, you know, and, mm. and I think for me, um, positioning and, and the way that we go out to the market has to come from the inside. So, um, which you know. which goes to the term, and you know, it's become almost a, a bit of a cliche. But being authentic, yeah, absolutely, is being able to live the words that you speak. Yeah. You know, to actually yeah. be able to communicate and then have the actions yeah. all aligned. Yeah. Um. So, so I, I guess you know, in terms of what what client perspective clients might see, you know, they might see um, thought pieces that we write. We do a, a thing called the Analog Folk Journal, which is a, a printed um, a printed book. Um, 
every kind of quarter, um, various people from around the network, uh, whether it's Portland or whether it's New York or London or Hong Kong, um, write perspectives on a particular topic. So we've had we've had play, we've had belonging um, as different topics, and so you know we we try and um, make sure we're kind of uh, working out our brains in a way that um, that where we're where we're generating thinking and we're we're trying to think ahead as to what. Um, big societal issues, or kind of, um, or even cultural trends, we can we can look but at. But they're all human issues, and, and they're all human issues. Importantly, they're not yeah. technology exactly issues. Exactly right. Exactly right. Because I think that's the trap, you know, mm. that people get so caught up in the technology that they actually f- forget <clears> at <throat> the end of the day there's going to be a human being interfacing into it. Yeah. You yeah. know, and and you see that with platforms that get developed by people at a great technology developers, mm-hmm. but they're not necessarily focused on the end user, they're focused on what the technology can do. It's, it's so true. The, um, I have heard, you know, the, the idea of personalization and the promise of personalization, I, I swear, has been around for 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm yet to see, you know, obviously there's the Amazon examples and all the rest of it, but um, even those are kind of uh, are flawed, you know, because you... Uh, I buy a, a, a kid's book for one of my daughter's friends for her for a party. All of a sudden, I'm being targeted and hammered with with you know um, unicorn books or whatever it might be. And you know, I, I think come on, I, just just fess up. Well, look, you, you know, are secretly a, a unicorn yeah, of course, unicorn collector, of, of course. Um, but you know, I think you know that that's an example of um, of again technology um, not necessarily relating to the needs of, of people um, and you know I, I still passionate, passionately believe in how much promise there is um, but there is a reality that it's difficult to implement uh, and it's yeah I think it's also because it is it takes a long time to get enough data about someone that you can actually truly mm-hmm. start to predict what their wants needs and desires will be at any time yeah at any point in time. There's also this desire in business to scale things immediately. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't actually want to interact with you, Matt, as an individual. Mm-hmm. I want 100,000 Matts. Yeah. And so the algorithm ends up treating you all mm-hmm. as if you're the same person 100,000 times. Mm-hmm. When in actual fact, human engagement is the fact that we all interact with each other slightly differently. Yeah. There could be 100,000 similar to Matt, yeah. but then I would interact each with each one as a human being. And mm. when technology is able to mimic that, and that's yeah. why people talk about machine learning yeah, yeah, yeah. and artificial intelligence, but it's still a long way to go. And it's still going to rely on having the clarity of the data in, yeah. the insights of human behaviour, built into the algorithm to actually create that um, that experience for people. Yeah. One, of the, one of the best examples I had was they did an experiment with um, machine learning and, and it was a voice for a call centre for people to make complaints. And they had real people and they had the machine mm-hmm. answering it. All they did in the algorithm was for the machine to acknowledge the person's complaint, whereas the human beings responded the way that human beings do. And then as an exit poll, the machine got a better 
exit rating than the human beings okay. because the human beings were trying to solve the problem and often creating more frustration. Right. Whereas the machine didn't try and solve the problem. It went, oh, I'm sorry you had that experience. That must be terrible for you. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Well, that's terrible. I'm sorry. that. You know, what can we do to help? Well, you could do this. Well, well, we'll look into that, okay, and get back to you. And then the person hung away going, oh, thank God, someone listened to me. Whereas the human being experience was, well, what we can do is this, this, and this, before they really listened and acknowledged that the person had a legitimate problem. So maybe, maybe the analog uh, side of things has something to learn from digital. Then maybe that's the <laughs> maybe that's the learning there. Well, I think because in that case, human beings are put, yeah, the people in the call center are put into a world where they're being bombarded with problems. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the defense of that is not to sit there and listen to everyone's problems, but try and solve them as quickly as possible so I can move on to the next one. Mm, mm. But it's interesting. And I think there's so many, uh, that interface, yeah. you know, yeah. called analog folk, but yeah. the interface that you look at mm. is what is it about the human experience that technology yeah. could be applied to, to make it richer, more enjoyable, more rewarding, for, for the human being. Yeah, and, you know, obviously, and what, what is the role for brands within that? So, you know, that's kind of that's what so we what, do. So what role does creativity, because the industry, the advertising industry, is obsessed yeah. with this term creativity. Mm. Yeah. So for you personally, mm. what is the role of creativity in this? Um, look, I think uh, uh, it's, it's critical. You know, there's there's no doubt. Um, you know, I think I probably put it at, at the most important thing um, that that we need to um, do as a business, and that and that we need to deliver to our clients. Um, you mean create award-winning advertising? No, 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 not at all. I, I but think, isn't that what creativity is from an advertising <laughs> perspective? Uh, of course not, Darren. Uh, and I know you're being uh, facetious there, but uh, no, no. Well, as a creative department, apparently the only place creativity exists is in the creative department. Yeah, and look, you know, again, I think um, that's probably a, a legacy um, creative department way of thinking. Um, mm. I think the modern creative department. Uh, do you have a creative department? We do. Yeah, we do. I mean, is that where the creativity is? Well, the creativity is through the organisation, actually. Uh, <laughs> But, so uh, you're all creative. Look, we are. We're all creative. We're, uh, but but obviously there are people who um, who are better at it than others, and who have the ability to spot other people's ideas and kind of elevate them. Uh, and that's you know that's as important now as it ever has been. And that's you know I think you know, when you look at great kind of um, creative directors or great creative people. Um, it's, it's their ability to kind of harness teams and bring them together uh, and, and get the best out of everyone that I think is important. But, I mean, creativity itself, um, you know, it, it's, it's, um, it has to come from different perspectives, you know, so whether that's a technology perspective, whether that's, um, you know, a brand perspective, whether that's a kind of human perspective, obviously, um, again, that, that's incredibly important. Um, and you know, one of the things we do a lot of is draw from the network, and we will will uh, will get you know some of our Shanghai office involved in certain you know creative mm-hmm. um, creative work to to get that different perspective and, and kind of you know apply a new lens uh, to some to some work or to a problem. So, is it also because there's different applications of creativity, in that you know people that may be account management or you know. Um, project management or whatever you want to call them, yeah. apply creativity to a client's problem. 
whereas a creative person in the creative department is applying it to creating a piece of communication or right. a, you know something that that's the the sort of the the definition or the focus of the creativity yeah yeah look I, again i think traditionally that is absolutely the case and i think um you know we we try and uh, we try and encourage um, all of our people to be involved and to to have um, have the ability to express their opinion and be creative across that entire um, end-to-end process from actually diagnosing and working with a client on what that problem is um, to, you know, finding a way to deliver the work for the budget that they've got, um, you know, and, and there's creativity there in terms of how we value the work and, and trying to align ourselves to that as well and, you know, opportunities for upside and opportunities for us to, to not you know, charged by the hour, um, which I think is a is a critical thing for the whole industry to kind of get past. Well, I was going um, to raise that because yeah. is it that the creativity doesn't exist in the finance department or is it in management that suffers from a lack of creativity in finding ways to be able to f- find new business models yeah. or is it actually the clients that don't want a new way of doing business with their agencies because the existing way works best for them? Um, oh, a little bit of this and that, I suppose you, you could say. but Because um, as an industry your, yeah. that's driven by creativity, mm. we still largely have the same structures that we had 30 years ago. Yeah. We've got the same remuneration models that we had uh, 20 and 30 years ago. We have the same attitude towards intellectual property that we had you know, in creating uh, and copyright that we had 30 years ago? Well, I'd argue that. I don't think we do have necessarily the same. Um, you know, I think there's plenty of examples of agencies kind of building out their own IP um, and owning it and then, and then licensing it out. Uh, I think um, there's plenty of examples of, of shifting away from the kind of head hour, you know, model. Um, and, and I suppose 30 years ago, probably would have been stuck in the, it's back in the commission. It was days, the, end I, of, I the end of the commission right, days. End of the commission yeah. days. Okay. Um, yeah. So look, I think, sort of I think, nineties. Right. Yeah. Um, Look, I obviously can't. I can't comment on on those days. I, I imagine it would have been pretty easy to run an agency back then. <laughs> but uh, it was uh, the beginning of the uh, end. Yeah, yeah. Um, but look, yeah. You know, again, it comes back to um, agencies actually having a point of view on the commercial success that the work is is expected to create, um, and clients being open to share that. So. You know, what I've definitely seen, and we've made a massive effort to um, to shift, to orient our, orientate ourselves towards that, uh, whereby we, uh, we're, we're spending a lot of time up front with clients, making sure that we understand what are the commercial drivers and, and how does the marketing plan relate to that, um, and therefore how does our work, um, how does the work that we're intended to do relate to that. Um, by doing that, you know, I think we're, we're in a position where we can understand the impact. Um, uh, and if we can measure that impact, then we can understand, you know, perhaps there's some, some interesting ways of, um, of therefore pricing our work and, and kind of um, sharing in some of that success. So um, because we're independent and because we are not bound to um, the rules that a lot of the big, you know, the big traditional agencies have, um, we're able to do that. And I've had, I've had probably four or five conversations over the last year um, with clients about exactly that. We've, been, we've implemented probably two or three examples of it uh, um, fairly recently, which which are uh, um, which are completely you know forgetting about head hours. And I, I actually can't even remember the last time a client 
requested that we do a, a head hour report for them. Um, That's great. Yeah. But I, I, I just want to pick up, I don't think it's independent versus non-independent because mm. you're part of a network. Mm. You know, you've got offices. We are, we are part of a network, but we're, right. we're independently owned um, yeah. in, in all it, of those I think it's not publicly listed, right? I think as soon as a network is publicly listed, they're yeah. answerable to the investors sure. on the share market. Yeah. Yeah. The quarterly announcement of profit, you know, is what drives a behaviour around Absolutely. reducing costs yes. and trying to maximise revenue yes. because it's all about profit. Yeah. Whereas as a uh, privately owned company, yes. uh, even a network of privately owned companies or even a, you know, a, a holding company that owns them, as long as it's not publicly listed, mm-hmm. you can then make decisions about investing back into the business for the good of your client. Yeah. You know, that this client we're willing to invest in because we know it's going to pay off in the long term. Whereas, you know, if you're publicly listed and you're reporting every three months, it's like, I've got to take the money now. I've got to take the money now. I've got to. And, and it's a very short term view, which is even reinforced by a lot of clients that are publicly listed are taking the same short term view, which Absolutely. is cut expenditure yeah. and hope that the sales hold up. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. It, it's um, yeah, and I, I think um, but I think most clients are, are really open to it, uh, and I think, um, you know, those uh, those discussions where we're aligning ourselves to you know, aligning our commercial goals essentially, um, have have been really really positive from throughout you know all of the all of the ones I've had recently. So, yeah, it's great. That's good to hear because yeah, yeah I mean you know we still see a lot of big clients that mm. are still buying ideas by the hour, which to me is like buying books by the kilo (laughs) or clothes by the meter. I don't really care what it looks like and I don't really care about the content as long as the price is low. And you're never going to get great innovation or great breakthrough or great... Now, going back to the idea of paying on success, Mm -hmm. didn't you in a way set up the big challenge there because you talked about short-term results Mm -hmm. and long-term brand building. Now, it must be incredibly difficult to be paid on success if it's around long-term brand building because that success may take two, three years before you actually see an uptick in the metrics of that brand building. So is the danger that agencies will end up getting paid, bonused, on achieving short-term sales results at the expense of long-term brand. Oh, look, it's possible if if you you know. But I, well, well I think a lot of digital, uh, you know, particularly in the performance media world, a lot of digital businesses are paid exactly in exactly that way, and I think they're probably being overpaid. Um, because um, a lot of the, the marketing effort uh, is being attributed to what they've done uh, and not necessarily to the longer term brand building effects of, of that whatever that work was. So um, so without a doubt it's possible. Um, I think it's, it's really is about how you how you set it up and uh, yeah, I, I agree with you that you know probably if we had a two to three year, kind of view, um, that would be a lovely thing to do. Um, but there's ways around it. You know, we can look at kind of um, leading indicators. We can look at... Um, yeah, like brand uh, tracking yeah, studies. Yeah, whether, whether it's like brand that. tracking or whether it's associating, I don't know, um, you know, organic web traffic or, or whatever it might be. And we can we can correlate that to, to business results. And, um, you know, but there's lo- loads, of ways of, loads of ways of doing it. So, yeah. 
Now, one of the big issues that agencies often talk about is talent recruitment, talent development, and talent uh, retention. What for you is the, you know, you may not have the secret sauce, but what's your focus around talent? Uh, Yeah, look, I wouldn't say we have a a secret sauce, as you say. Um, uh, I go back to the to culture and I go back to you know starting really with our mission and what we stand for and um, and offering an environment where people uh, who buy into that are going to enjoy themselves and going to do some great work so um, you know we, uh, we we try and look at um, diverse training as an example um, we you know we've, we've had a long-standing kind of um, partnership with General Assembly for example where when they first launched we we gave all of our team you know multiple classes they could go out and do whatever they wanted um, within that kind of environment Um, we do a thing called anti-training where we give everyone um, 500 bucks a year and they can choose something uh, as choose something to do that has absolutely nothing to do with our industry so you know someone's on horse whispering and we've had you know (laughs) um, we've had clay painting and we've had all sorts of different interesting things um, so yeah, I think I think kind of supporting um, supporting people uh, people's growth beyond our day job, um, but at the same time offering them opportunities to do great work that kind of you know, that they believe in. So um, you know whether it's working with uh, with charity partners or or whatever it might be, uh, you know actually kind of contributing um, in a way that, um, that that makes them feel good as well. Because it is important, you know, and, and people work long hours in advertising. I mean, I think um, we've seen, especially in Asia, mm. the negative impact of those long hours. But uh, obviously, if people are actually feeling rewarded, not just financially, but yep. emotionally, <laughs> yep. um, they're able to better deal with that. Yeah, and uh, look, again, it's, it comes back to this whole idea of... Um, of you know moving away from the kind of um, the hourly billings uh, and actually um, valuing the the thinking that we produce uh, instead, um, because without doing that, you know, there's a profit ceiling. You know, the, the the amount of money you can make is dictated by how big you are. Um, we don't want to be that. We don't want to. We want to avoid that. So well, you become um, a people factory because yeah, exactly. the more people I have build out at you know 1600 hours 1800 hours 2000 hours yeah, yeah. becomes the way you scale exactly um, you know and when you look at who I think our competition is which is you know from a, from a talent point of view anyway and it's so much more diverse than it used to be you know there are so well, it's many not creative, other agencies it's, it's is not, it? it's, it, you know it could be other agencies but it could equally be Google's and Facebook's um, hmm. it could easily be startups. Vice, it could be startups it could be um, you know an innovation department in a consultancy hmm. um, or in a bank or whatever it might be and so there's so many opportunities for um, for, for talent to, to find um, you know, find interesting work and, and do things that kind of, um, you know, push them forward personally. Uh, so, you know, to compete with that, we've got to, we've got to release that, that kind of profit ceiling. We've got to, um, we've got to be able to, you know, pay them amazing salaries. We've got to be able to have benefits that stack up. And, you know, we, we, we're on a path towards all of those things, um, whether it's flexible working, you know, we've got, I've got a couple of part-time people uh, in the office and we, we're really big on sort of pushing that. Um, so, you know, we, we really feel it's important, um, you know, and I think in order to deliver on it, in order to execute on, 
on a, a more sort of flexible and a, a more inspiring and a, and a better place to work, um, you know, we've, we've got to shift how we do things and, and that's really the path we've been on. Hmm. Uh, I just noticed the time, Matt. Um, we've run out of time, but look, thank you for uh, sharing uh, some insights behind behind the doors at Analog Folk. Thank you for having me, Darren. Um, just one question before you go: Who's most likely to buy you?